Thanks all for tuning into Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life forward to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, Tribe, what's going on? This is James from Better You For You. Jerome's here. What's up, man? How y'all doing this evening? It's an absolutely gorgeous day to be alive. Absolutely gorgeous day to be alive. Understatement. So what are we talking about today, man? I thought that today would be a day where we could talk about some of the things that people describe to you or tell you um, about obstacles in when they're considering getting into uh, multifamily investing. I thought some of the tribe members, the people that enjoy the podcast would kind of get some insights into what some of these possible issues are. And hopefully we'll be able to talk people through navigating through those issues. Ooh, doggy. They want the silver bullet, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the most, I think the one that comes up most frequently is knowledge, right? Because if you don't know what you're doing, you're guaranteed to lose money. And there's a barrier to entry for knowledge because the vast majority of people, from my perspective, don't have the 50 or, well, I guess 50 is not the start. I think most or programs started about 25,000 and go to 50,000. And people ask, well, if I spend that much money on the program, how will I have any money left to invest once I do it? And I always smile and say, good question. Um, being that I have been on the other side of those sales pitches. Uh, They always say, well, if you do one deal, if you just do one deal, then you'll make all your money back. And so that's how they justify you raising your credit card limit and running to the back of the room and signing up for the program. Uh, I don't know if that's wise, if it's all the money that you have, but in the same breath, this is not a, I don't want to call it poor man, but for the, sake of having this discussion it's not a poor man's game like you either have to have some capital or access to some capital in order to do these deals and the hope that's being sold in a lot of circles is that you can do these deals with no money down and all you have to do is be creative and i've seen some people do those deals and they end up either being super high leverage so the risk for the deal failing is amplified or, you know, those deals are so hard to come by that you spend years trying to get through the deal. Okay. Or get into the deal. 
and you know some really solid deals just kind of pass you by because you're spending all your time trying to find somebody that's going to own or finance it or um, you're buying it at such a deep discount that you can put hard money on it or you know whatever creative financing solution the gurus are offering you on how you can kind of skip this step so just to be clear in this scenario you're talking about somebody that basically wants to be their own deal sponsor that wants to be the one that's leading and running the deal, correct? Yeah, I mean, that is, I think, the only reason that anybody would spend that type of money on leadership is because they're going to make it basically their career. Or I said leadership, but really it's education, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be leading multi-million dollar deals, the thought of spending $50,000 $50,000 to learn how to do it is not out of the question. Uh, because if you do it wrong, you're going to lose way more than that in, in a deal. Yeah, this is true. So, you know, I, I, when you think about it in that context, instead of, hey, I'm spending $50,000 to go buy a $100,000 house, you know, that doesn't make sense. It's out of whack. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're spending fifty thousand dollars to go buy a five million dollar asset or a one million dollar asset, you better know what you're doing. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's just true. So, so in that instance, the money for the program is really a, a person investing in their future and investing in their own capability, so that they can get up to speed, they can learn the ins and outs, and they can also. Uh, get access to a network of individuals who are moving in that same direction. Because a lot of the programs that I've seen aren't just solo programs. They may be some one-on-one coaching, but there are also other students that are in the programs and there's a network effect, kind of a mastermind effect that tends to occur uh, in these types of programs. That's a real story. Uh, And you'll see a lot of the students partner up on deals, like somebody will be good at underwriting. Somebody might be good at, you know, finding deals. Somebody might be good at the operations piece. And you'll see these kind of JVs forming out of student cohorts. And for those of you that are unaware, JVs are joint ventures. Joint venture partnerships. And so I guess it's worth going down that path of talking about there's really two deal types in the multifamily space. And it's a joint venture where everybody has an active role in the deal. And then there's a syndication where the best uh, metaphor that I've heard is everybody gets on the plane. There's some people who are passengers and then there's some people who are actually flying the plane. Yeah. The people who are actually flying the plane are folks in the general partnership and they're responsible for the day-to-day operations and the folks that are, limited partners, they are kind of the passengers on the plane. And so they put their money in and then they just wait to get checks while the other folks are actually operating the business. Yeah. And in that scenario, um, the general partners really maintain most of the control for the decisions. Is that correct? They have all of the control in the general partnership. There are People who are limited partners don't have any voting rights. Okay. So, um, you know, for our listeners, if they're considering getting into a deal passively um, as part of a limited partner, it's just you want to make sure that you understand the deal 
that you understand and really vet that management team, the general partners, uh, because you will not have a say in the ongoing operations. Uh, all of the deals that we have participated in so far have been joint ventures. Um, and I enjoy having an active role in looking at the strategy and making input into the decisions that are being made about the properties. But I do understand that if we went the route of syndication and I was a limited partner that I wouldn't be able to have that type of influence. No, you would not. And that part is, you know, the thing that a lot of people I think miss out on, they don't get that. Well, I, it's, it's no different than stocks and bonds though, right? If you buy into somebody's fortune 500 or fortune 1000 company, you don't, call the CEO and ask them what's going on. It's true. You find out at the quarterly earnings report how things are going. And, you know, that's kind of the end of the story. So, and, and, but it's not as liquid, right? If you don't like the earnings report, you're, you're not just going to be able to sell it in, at the end of Q1. That just <laughs> doesn't happen. It, the general partnership has to decide that it's in the best interest of the company to sell that organization. So it, there's a whole lot there and there's, there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. Like that part is just the thing that baffles me there. And there's people who are putting money in deals and they don't understand the investment that they're making. And so I think it's probably prudent James at this point to go down this path of you know, sophisticated investors and accredited investors and not accredited investors then you know, the rules that go along with it. And I mean, we could probably talk for a couple of hours around that. Yeah. But, you know, I think the quickest way to lose your money is to give it to somebody to invest it and they don't know what they're doing slash you don't understand what they're doing. So you're just putting money into, you know, this box and hoping that some black magic happens and more money comes out than money that went in. Yeah, because all of the information that's used in marketing looks good. It looks like it's the best deal ever. Um, but you have to learn how to peel beneath the layers to get to the core of that property and how it's performing and are the returns realistic? Um, what's going to be, you know, what's the history of that management team? You know, are these new kids on the block, is it, are these their first huge, you know, project, depending on the size of the project. Um, and that doesn't mean that if it's their first project that you don't want to invest, but it's just things that you have to consider because it's your hard earned money that you're putting to work. It's your capital that you are putting to work for you. Um, and it's just like any other thing that you're looking at, you want to make sure that you are the most well-informed as you can be before making any kind of investment decision because you've worked hard for that money. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about with the Myers method is being able to offer an opportunity to be able for people to educate themselves on the multifamily investing space process. Um, and being armed with that education, you can make better decisions. Um, that's the whole thing. You really want to be equipped to make those better decisions.
So, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing you say, Jerome, is that a lot of people approach this from the mindset of, I don't have enough money to invest. Whether that invest is in themselves to get education or whether that invest means not enough money to invest in these types of deals. Um, What would be some words that you would have, particularly to the people that are coming at it from the approach of not enough money to invest in these types of deals? If you don't, you don't want to put your last in, right? If you got to have the money back, then you shouldn't be investing it. You've got to be in a position where you're okay if the investment goes to zero. The great thing about real estate is more often than not, the investment won't go to zero just because you have a hard asset backing the pro- the investment. But the the thought process is, you know, you you're okay with it going to zero. You're putting it at risk knowing that it could go to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, if, if I, so we do a $25,000 minimum investment, right? Because mm-hmm. we found that when people have less than that to invest, they're usually digging into their, their deepest, darkest reserves. And what, tends to happen when that happens is something with Murphy's law where something goes wrong, they need to liquidate and they come back and ask for cash. I, once we're in, we're in and we, unless there's somebody that's willing to come in and buy the person out, they are committed for the term that we agreed to before they invested their money. Um, and that's uncomfortable for a lot of people because some of the deals that we've done, we've asked people to commit their funds for seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. It, but these, these are long range plans. These are long-term deals. Now we have the expectation more often than not to refinance and return the principal, but it's not a guarantee, right? So once people put their money in things, go kind of haywire. And so I've seen people pull capital together to get to the minimum that our company requires. There are other people who take smaller amounts, right? So they do the crowd, the, the crowdfunding route. Mm-hmm. I think some of those platforms go as low as like 500 bucks. And, but at the end of the day, I just don't know if, you know, that's the right play because, you know, we're talking about returns in the, I mean, if somebody's knocking out of the park, it's 25%. On the low end, I've seen people buy stuff, it's six and projecting five or 6% returns. And so, you know, if you put $500 in and you get a 5% return, you know, you're not, I, I don't know if it's making that much difference in your your world, right? So how do we, how do we grow the, investable asset. Mm-hmm. And I think the fastest way to do that is to get financially fit, right? So you're cutting your living expenses as low as you can. You're growing your income as much as you can. And that gap, instead of going on trips and buying cars and going out to eat, is going into savings. 
And, you know, one of our partners, Deron Chandler, is a great example of somebody who just made extreme sacrifices to create investable assets. Not only did he kill his student loans, but he's created you know, a really, really nice little nest egg that he's put into real estate with the belief and you know total confidence that he's going to get passive income from it. And he'll also be able to participate in the harvest when we sell things and you know get that equity piece mm-hmm. that we are looking for when we force depreciation. So, but a lot of people aren't willing to do that. I mean, he worked a second job for four or five years. He right? did what he needed to do in order to achieve his goal. Um, exactly. And I mean, he's not done, right? And it's funny because we we were talking about, uh, he came down to Greensboro, hung out with me. And I think, James, you were here at the same time. Or it was Devin. It was probably Devin. But anyway, we were doing, um, we were Townsend at Lindley. Okay. Yeah. We went over and visited, and Duran was like, yeah, I I don't know how I'm going to create the money for this, but I'm in. Right? And then he went back and figured it out. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was there. I remember. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> nobody wants to hear this, right? But there's a whole bunch of people who say they want this or want that, but aren't willing, but that's not aligned with what they're willing to sacrifice for. So, so basically, um, you're talking about people that say one thing, but their actions really say something else. Correct. I mean, we're looking for alignment, right? And that's just in general. Uh, for us as, you know, deal leads, deal sponsors, however you want to characterize it, it's incumbent upon us to do what we say and say what we mean. And so we're looking for that type of alignment throughout the organization, right? Because if somebody, if, if we come to a meeting and say, hey, guys, uh, for instance, we were talking in Greenbrier, we were talking about refinancing earlier this year because it was looking like we were going to stabilize. And we were looking at debt service coverage ratio and some of the other metrics that we use to make final decisions about what to do with the property. And you, in particular, were like, I'm not, we're not ready yet. No, nope. we're not ready yet. And had I been on the other end of the spectrum and the other guys were like, well, well come on, man, we can return our principal, blah, 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 blah. Um, if you can't have that honest conversation with the folks that you're in the deal with, then it's kind of pointless for you to be in the deal, right? Because you're not bringing a perspective that's thoughtful or even one that's your own. You're just kind of going along with the flow, not to rock the boat. Yeah, you you do not want to just go along with the flow. I mean, I trust our management team. I trust the Barnes Development Group, but I also trust the numbers. And I have to look at and understand the numbers myself. Um, And there may be times that numbers can be interpreted many different ways, and no one knows exactly what the future is going to hold. So I think uh, as people are putting their teams together, they need to have some conservative voices as well as those that are pushing toward the, you know, pushing toward the other end so that you can get that balance. You do not want to be 
in the project where everybody is too conservative because you'll never be able to really force appreciation to do the things that you need to do to be able to be profitable. But you also don't want to be in a deal where everybody is on the extreme end trying to make sure they can rapidly extract every bit of value out of the property um, as soon as they can, because that's going to be a recipe for failure. It's an absolute recipe for failure. And so now I get to be the buzz killer, right? Because now I'm going to tell you, Hey, don't just partner with people because they have cash. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, especially not in a JV deal. Mm -hmm. Like, I can understand why people do it in the limited partnerships because they don't have a voice. They're just putting their money in and going along for the ride with whatever the GP or general partnership wants to do. But when you're in these JV deals, you know, it's, it's like getting married, man. You're tying your financial future to them. If you guys can't get an alignment or agreement, the project can be stuck if you don't set up the voting structure properly. I mean, there's just so many pitfalls that you know can make you fall on your face so you know you want to align with you want to you want to partner with people where you have aligned values yep like that is the most important thing because if your values are aligned well let me say it differently if your values are not aligned then you've got embedded friction mm -hmm. right you're you're guaranteed to be bumping heads and not to say that you know everything's hunky-dory and there's harmony in the partnership. But when you guys are all using the same guiding principles to make your decisions, it makes a lot of the decision-making easy. Yeah, it does. And then you know, the real struggles come when there's a bunch of ambiguity, right? You don't, you don't have a clear path and it's not, it's not a values issue. It's a, where, where should the assumption be placed in order for us to make this decision because I'm an engineer and I like having as many pieces of data as I can to, you know, imp impact the decision or guide the decision. But I mean, you're dealing with people. Yep. And people move out in the middle of the night and leave all their stuff and leave all of their stuff and bed bugs or fleas or whatever else we've found yeah. over the course of however many years we've been doing it. So, you know, and then, you know, the best part about all of this is when you think that you've got a great assumption and you're completely wrong. Yes. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, having people on the team who only care about how much money they're making will blow up in the daily space because all they care about is the dollar. And yeah, this isn't what's best for the property or this isn't best for the property long-term. It might be good for your pocket right now, but you know, how, how long does that really last? And then you think about not only the property, but you think about the community at large, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there is so much bigger than the returns. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think I've said it before, but the properties can either be alligators or geese, right? And if you feed both of them, yep. it's just a matter of which one gives you something back. And the alligators don't give you anything back. So, you know, but you've got to treat your property well in order for it to become a goose. Yep. Um, so, you know, so basically Jerome's saying you need 
you need to create space for yourself financially because the vast majority of people are going to say, how much money are you putting in the deal? Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, the deal lead and saying none and then saying this is also my first deal isn't a very compelling story. No. Um, and then even the banks are going to have issues with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all right, so let's say you've done the work to get financially fed and you've started creating some savings and you want to invest in a deal. Awesome. Now, the other people, because most people aren't able to take down a million dollar property by themselves. So the people that you bring into the deal, unless, since it's a recourse loan, let's say it's a JV deal. Mm -hmm. uh, where are, where's the rest of the money going to come from? Yeah. And it's not running around and saying, hey, I got a deal. You want to invest? Yeah, I just met you at a conference. That's not the answer. And most smart money doesn't want to talk to you anyway because you don't really understand the process of building relationships. Like, this is a long-term game, guys. And, you know, just locking arms with somebody you just met and – Going into business is a very risky. Have you been looking for properties but unable to find a good deal? Do you feel like lack of access to private capital is holding you back? Do you have the confidence in your skills to execute your business plan? The Myers Method, we walk with you to help you step-by-step step understand the actions needed to identify, acquire, operate, and maintain multifamily properties. Guys, great morning, great morning. It's Monday morning. I'm over here at Towns. No, this isn't Towns. This is Myers Point, man. Myers Point at Greenbrier. We're getting the grass cut. Me and my property manager to talk about strategy on a couple of evictions and turnovers we're gonna take care of this month coming up in June really made a lot of progress on this property over the past year. Now it's time to take it to the next level. It is. It absolutely is. So, you know, for our listeners, you definitely want to make sure that you create space to get yourself financially fit. You know, Jerome talked about Duran and the process that he went into. I would encourage you to uh, take a listen again to his podcast uh, as he talks about the, the steps that he took for financial, becoming financially fit. Um, but it is definitely a process. And there are many people who were in a situation that we were in for many years where I would say we were income rich but cash poor. Mm. where we made decent amount of money, but we really, because of our lifestyle choices, just because of any, you know, anything you want to throw in there, did not have a huge cash position to be able to invest in these types of projects. Um, we didn't start boosting our savings in order to invest in real estate. We started boosting our savings because we began to hold our standard of living to a certain limit. And we didn't let that limit increase. Just because we could go buy new cars, we didn't. Just because we could go buy another house, we didn't. We began to have our actions align with our stated goals of being financially fit. So that means 
Uh, if you have credit card debt, you have to eliminate that credit card debt. You have to take the steps to do it. You have to make those hard choices. If you don't have savings or an emergency fund, you need to start setting up a little bit of money and paying yourself first for that emergency fund. And paying yourself first is not just making the minimum contribution to your retirement account if you're fortunate enough to have one. Um, it's really, it goes beyond that. You have to begin to give yourself breathing room financially. And there are many of us that have no breathing room financially. I think the data is something like 70 or 79% of people in America uh, wouldn't be able, you know, would come to some kind of financial issue if they missed a paycheck. If they missed one paycheck, they wouldn't be able to make the rent or they would have some type of financial catastrophe. So we have to really make space and allow breathing room. And hey, everybody, listen, I want you to listen real good. Just because there's money in your bank account doesn't mean that you have to spend it. It's okay to build up a reserve. It's okay. It's funny you brought that up because I met with the guys, a bank that is looking at funding technology row. And they said, yeah, so after you figure out the down payment, we're still going to want 10% of the loan and liquidity. And right now we're projecting that project to be around $10 million. So we have to have a million dollars just sitting and available in case something goes wrong. How many people do you know that just have a million dollars sitting, not in a retirement account, not in equity in their house, just sitting in cash or in stocks outside of a retirement account? I can honestly think of just one person that I know in that situation, and it's not me. <laughs> it's not, I don't want the listeners to get the wrong idea. And it's not it's one person that I know that would fit that category. Yeah. I probably know a handful of them. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is just because you got the latest pair of shoes or a newest car or whatever else doesn't mean that you're doing well. Right. Like, this is a totally different game. And, you know, we, we're talking about money in this episode just because it's the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, after that, there's probably the experience or knowledge. And then after that, it might be, well, I can't find a deal now that I know what a deal looks like. But this money piece is huge. And I just don't want to see people who actually have some money, did the work, right, to get the money, to throw it down the drain. Yeah. And, and I mean, who do you want to be? What type of person do you want to be? We, you know, we can talk about a lot of different things, um, but we need to be the type of people, Jerome, you and I, we need to be the type of people that have a million dollars liquid ready for these deals. Without question. That's who we, that's who we need to be. The issue is we've been buying so aggressively and and it's only going to get more aggressive, right? So Mm -hmm. 
liquidity becomes an issue as you grow the portfolio, but we've got some things that will return capital and we'll be able to go back down and do some other stuff. Um, and then we'll continue to grow the network, right? Because that is part of the, the vision. We're, we're looking to create wealth in the community. And so how do you create wealth? Well, part of it's through real estate. So you make money doing something and then you put it in real estate to grow it. Um, so, you know, I think we hit on those folks that uh, may be in debt and they are trying to work themselves toward financial solvency. All right. They're, they're, they really want to have uh, a nice financial health to be able to make decisions. Then you have people that are in a financial position to make those types of investments. But for one reason or another, they're unwilling to or lack the faith uh, in the multifamily space to be able to make the investment. I know for myself, it wasn't so much of a level of unwillingness, but it was really lack of knowledge and lack of access to opportunity, at least me not thinking about it and pursuing it until I was approached, um, you know, through the Myers Development Group with, hey, here's an opportunity. Look at this data. If you do it, great. If you don't, that's fine. But here it is. And that began to really open up my eyes to what the possibilities were. And so there are a lot of people who possibly have the means, but they're not aware, they're not really aware of the opportunity. And it goes back to what we talked about before. There's the awareness piece, but then there's also educating yourself on the process, understanding what to look for in these deals, and really trying to educate yourself, you know, learn and grow, grow in the area of knowledge, uh, in finances, in an area of knowledge of multifamily real estate investing. Yeah, I mean, that that asset class, right? How, when Duran and I were sitting on the stoop back in college and counting up the $700,000 that the owner of the property was collecting in gross rents, uh, we had no idea how, who owned it or how they owned it. We just knew that there was all this money going to a place and, you know, at the end of the day, it was being sent to somebody to live off of at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So we knew that it was happening, but how you do it, um, how you pay for it, and how the back end of the business work, we had zero idea. Yeah. Um, so it took us a long time to figure that part out. But when we did, you know, it, it really we were on to something. We were a little ahead of our time, but we were on to something. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad that you guys had that conversation on the stoop because if you had not, you may not have continued to develop and to learn and to grow uh, into the position that you are now. We are. We are now. Yeah, well, yeah we are. I agree. Um, but, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've picked up is that this is a team sport, man. Like nobody's going to do this all by themselves. And I, I, I applaud the people who want to be self-made and do it all on their own and not get any help, but it's not a scalable, it's not a scalable approach guys. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you may not care about scale, but the big businesses that we know, like, and trust and that, you know, kind of made the U.S. go around are all scaled. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why, you know, people invest in the Fortune 500. Um, and so building something that will outlast you and, you know, go on into oblivion is really what you're, at least from my perspective, what you want to build. Because that's how you get true freedom, right? The folks that I've met that want to do it all on their own, they're responsible for everything. Yeah. And so, you know, if you just want to pick up and go out the country, you're not doing that. Because you've got to answer the phone if a toilet breaks or you got to answer the phone if somebody doesn't collect their rent. Like there's always something that you have to do. Mm-hmm. So you're not actually getting to this free place that we're pursuing. You know, I, I joke on Instagram with the Harry Tubman stuff. And I don't know that it's really a joke when I really think about it. Like the goal is to get people free. Yep. Goal is to allow people to have passive income that pays their bills so that they don't have to worry about how they're going to make money. You know, the thought that I need money, so I need to go get a job is the furthest thing from the truth. You need money, so you need to find an income stream. And so every time that we add a property to the portfolio, we're adding another income stream. Yeah, and and to be clear, um, I don't want the passive income to, uh, you know, fund my the money that was coming from my job. I wanted to be able to fund, fund my wildest dreams. I want, I want the passive income to be able to, uh, you know, provide for things that I can't even think about right now. Um, but the, the reality is that, you know, just like anything else, the seeds that are planted today grow into trees in a few years. It takes time to build that kind of wealth and consistent application of sound financial principles, consistent application of making your investments will eventually lead you to the road of where you want to lead. And that's where we want to go. Um, Look, as we wrap this up, um, there's two things that, you know, I don't know if you'll insert how you're inserted or what you'll talk about. One is a a quick thing about the Myers method and Mm -hmm. I don't know if you wanted to talk about the event that's planned for March of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I'm super excited about the March event. I don't know what the word will be that we'll use, but right now I'm calling it immersion, right? I, I want to bring everybody to my town and show them around and let them see some of our units. I want them to... We're going to do some education. We're going to specifically on real estate. We're going to do some mindset stuff and we're going to give people opportunity to network. I've had people from New York, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Atlanta, even as far as California say, we're there, we're already in. And so if that sounds like something that you're interested in, you know, we're about six months out, but it's the third weekend in March. Um, details will follow as we get closer to the date, but we're, we're just putting it out there, man. It's a kind of an open invitation. I'm pretty sure it's going to sell out 
And once we pick venue, um, we'll cap the tickets. There are some early bird tickets that are already out there and you can find those. Um, we'll link it up in the show notes, but you'll be able to find those in the show notes. And there's a video floating around on Facebook and Instagram mm -hmm. that actually can drive you to the site if you want to go ahead and lock in on it. But I've, I've just been getting so many messages from, you know, podcast interviews um, and then even watching dialogue with other investors that I follow who are talking about the more expensive courses and classes. Mm -hmm. um, the goal here is to educate people about the asset class because we believe it's pretty special and we believe it has a, a scalability aspect to it that you can't get in single family homes and combine that with the fact that it can't be outsourced. Uh, unless there's a dramatic shift in the way that we do housing in the U.S., we're really solid for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if you have any interest in multifamily, um, you know, for less than the cost of a pair of Jordans, you'll be able to come hang out with us and get a peek behind the scenes of how all this stuff works. It will be awesome. I'm so looking forward to it. I've marked my calendar and I'm looking forward to learning and sharing and building community um, because it really is about building that community and connection with folks to make sure that they're in alignment, you know, that they're in alignment with our goals. We can share what our values are, where we're coming from and continue to plot this course forward. It's awesome, man. Um, and I guess this will be a series because we still got to talk about, you know, finding a deal. Yep. We still got to find, talk about, you know, how to execute on a business plan. But I will tell you, because I, I, and it's only relevant to bring this up because I got a DM today asking about the closed Facebook group and what it is. And I just want, if you hit MyriesMethods.com, you can see our program. But this closed Facebook group, you know, it's 29 bucks a month, so a dollar a day, right? It'll get you access to people who have, you know, a similar interests as you. So the networking piece for me is probably the most important, even though a lot of people don't actually engage on social media. The thought with the closed Facebook group is you can get to know people. And even if you don't do all the chatting on Facebook, at least you can connect in our group. Um, two, we want to give people opportunity to get some questions answered. And I mean, it's not going to be full service. Like if you want us to do a full deal review, I don't think that actually fits in that model. But if you need to bounce a question off somebody or ask for a reference in a certain market, you know, we might be able to, you know, fill something like that. And, and I think the other thing is it just kind of gives you an introduction in case, you know, you've been trying to figure out, Hey, what is this apartment thing? Do I really have to go spend $30,000 to get educated? Um, but you're tired of maybe going to podcast you or YouTube you like I did. Um, it gives you opportunity to engage with some folks who are actually doing this business every day. Um, for me, that part is important because none of my mentors were people who were doing it every day. Um, at least I couldn't touch them because mm -hmm. I didn't spend the thirty or forty thousand dollars on the education, but with that said, I spent forty hours a week listening to content, looking at books, 
figuring out through the school of hard knocks. And I'll tell you that if I had to do it all over again, um, I would be much further along had I spent the money on the course. Um, and I know that to be a fact because I've watched other people who've taken courses and seen what they've done. Um, and I don't know that they're all that much more capable than I am. So, yeah, man, we're trying to create some resources to help folks get along on their journey. Yep. Um, I know a lot of people want free stuff. And so the podcast is free. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, we're just, I've just gotten to the point where it, there's too much value being created to just give it away. No, listen, it's valuable. And um, that's, that's all I can say. It, it is absolutely valuable. And this, again, it's not a poor man's game, right? Like if you don't have the 30 bucks a month to get some education on something where you're going to be spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on it. Let's be, the, the, let's be clear. Most people, most people would be able to figure out $30 a month. The majority so of people, <laughs> the majority of people that are listening to this podcast would be able to make that level of investment in themselves and in their education. So the question is not whether they have it, it's whether they think that they're worth that investment in themselves. Because we know that the content is valuable. So it's not about the content and it's not about the cost, but do they value themselves enough to make that investment? And if they don't, they won't make the investment. They value themselves enough to go to Starbucks. They value <laughs> themselves enough to eat out because that's what they want to do. Um, so, you know, the, the reality is whether it's $30, whether it's 50, whether it's a hundred, whatever that, whatever that value is, is what value do you place on educating yourself um, in that particular area? So that's my two cents. Let me, let me ask you this question, man, because it's starting to irritate me. So the folks who are on Instagram or LinkedIn and they have multifamily syndicator or multifamily investor, but they don't own any multifamily properties. <laughs> How do you feel about that, man? I mean, is that, is that a thing? Like, is that okay? Listen, um, I don't know who these people are what their story is. I see them every day. I understand that. And, you know, there are people, I'm sure, that are like that. But that's why we talked about earlier that you need to vet the people that you're doing deals with. Yeah. You need to understand their background. You need to know, have they done any deals? Have they previously invested in deals? Have they been a passive investor in deals? Are they bringing their own money to these deals? And a lot of times, you know, you'll always hear the rosy stories. But another thing, if you can find out, you want to know what happens when it hits the fan. How do they respond? I never make any mistakes. Yeah, that's, that, that doesn't make any sense. We all make everything right. 
if you're not making mistakes, if you go through this whole process and you don't make any mistake, then I can tell you're not doing something right. <laughs> you're not doing something right. It's their fault. <laughs> you know, we learn from those mistakes and we get better. You know, one of the, the things that we've talked about in the past is that strength is on the other side of struggle. And so if you're telling me that, that you have not struggled in general, you have not worked, you know, so in this case, you, you know, struggle could mean you, you haven't worked to move past an obstacle, then what kind of strength do you have? I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Drops the mic. Yeah. So, Jerome, thanks so much for spending time dropping knowledge about this. It's been a, a great conversation. I look forward to the future conversations that we'll have um, on this topic um, and look forward to just building up to the event in March of 2020. We're looking forward to the next Dreamcatchers powwow, which is coming up. And just an exciting thing that we have in store for our listeners. Thank you guys for uh, listening to us. We ask that, again, that you would find the Dreamcatchers podcast, that you would give us a rating, find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. We ask that you give us a rating and review because that just continues to help spread the word on the great content and discussions that we're providing. Talk to you guys soon. Send me your deals if you get into one. Great. All right. Thanks. If you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit the website at dreamsdebreal.com. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it.